Our scripture lesson today comes from the greatest teaching ever given by the smartest man who ever lived, Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is actually towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I recommend it to you. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, You can spend the rest of your life trying to live into those three chapters of the Bible. Let's share in God's good word together. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We are in our last week of our series, Jesus Didn't Say That. Next week, we'll start a new series. Uh, But today, uh, we're going to finish this one up with uh, perhaps uh, one of the more difficult sayings that's in our culture uh, today. So uh, if you would like to hear any of the previous sermons, uh, they're all online uh, on podcasts. They come out on Mondays following the Sunday. And so we we recommend them to you. I know it's been helpful. Uh, Some folks have talked to me today about how helpful it's been to them over the last few weeks. So if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out uh, and we'll get started. Uh, The first thing is everything happens for a reason. That's where we started. And of course, that's true, right? I mean, we do live in a cause and effect uh, world, but not everything happens as God's will right? So everything happens for a reason, but say the bottom part with me, the reason may not be God. It absolutely may have nothing to do with God's will or what God wants for your life. Uh, We are people that believe that God is good. How often? All the time. And all the time, God is good. We do not believe in a God who randomly picks uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, cancer, uh, and throws them on people. That's not what we believe. We believe that God is good. How often? All the time. And so because of that, then many of these sort of cliches fall. Because God is always for you, God's character is always for you, cannot be against you, and so everything happens for a reason, yes, but oftentimes it's because of our own choices, uh, it's because of other people's choices, um, you know, certainly uh, drinking and driving is a clear example of this. Um, I'm nervous for my boys every time they're out uh, late uh, in the evening, not because they're not great drivers, they are, they're great drivers, uh, but because there are a lot of other people on the roads. Isn't that true? If you're a parent, you know this. You know how scary it is. Uh, We do know that things happen for a reason, and sometimes they're for terrible reasons. Not God's will, not God's plan. So the second week, uh, Brandon helped us with this, that God helps those who help themselves. Is that right? No. God helps who? Everyone. God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the good and the evil alike. And so I I don't know if you've been noticing the weather patterns. Uh, I've, I've noticed that the rain isn't hitting only the Christian homes. Right? It hits everybody. It hits us all. And so God helps everyone. Reverend Brandon uh, was kind to help us understand this better, and I appreciate that. God helps uh, everyone, everyone. And then last week we looked at this. God won't give you more than you can handle. Uh, certainly I've said that in my life. Um, I've like, come on, Mark, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Well, there's two problems with that. One, God didn't give it to me in the first place, right? It's not God doing it to me. And secondly, we all need help. Will you say that with me? 
We all need help. Every single one of us sometimes. When you were born, you know, did you, you know, pop out and put on a suit and go to work? No. You need help. Right? And certainly by the, the end of our lives, for most of us, we're going to need help then. And if we're honest, we need help pretty much every day. Right? We go to the doctor because we need help with our health, or we go to a therapist because we need some help with um, our mental health, or we go to, uh, for me, I go to the auto mechanic because uh, I need help with a vehicle. Uh, we, I go to a financial planner because we need help with finances. And don't, or is there anyone here, this is really dangerous territory, anybody here completely 100% self-sufficient, you do everything yourself? You're growing your own food, cooking it, built your car. No, we all need help, don't we? In some way, sometime. So, of course, we have more than we can handle often in our lives. And so then we come to this final one, which can be a little tricky. And that is that Jesus didn't say, love the sinner. He, he didn't. Now, of course, we want to love the sinner because that's us. Right? So we, got, we want God to love us, and we want other people to love us. So, so on the front of it, it sounds right. It sounds good. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus never said that. What Jesus said was, love God. And here's the story uh, in the Bible about Jesus' life that says that. One of the scribes, one of the religious folks, came near to Jesus, and, and he heard uh, them dispute. Jesus actually comes near, hear them disturbing one another, and they see which one answered them well. And he asked them, this is Jesus speaking now, which commandment is the first of all? And, and Jesus answered, the first is what's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the, go- the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, basically with everything you have. And then Jesus says this. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Right? There's no other greater commandment than these. Now, we're not going to go into this much, but here's, here's a little secret about this. Most of the time I find people who struggle with judging others is that they don't love themselves. I mean, that's, that's the thing. is because it's sort of a smoke and mirror thing. I'm so afraid that you might see the sin in my life that I want you to look over there. Because I know this is messed up. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know that I can fix it. So, so please look over there. And there's a problem not loving ourselves. And, and a lot of the root cause of, of terrible things in the world is that we don't love ourselves. And so then we treat others badly. Because if we're not worthy of love, we're not worthy of acceptance, we're not worthy of good things, then neither are they, right? Because if that's not going to happen to me, I don't want it to happen for you. So a lot of this comes right from here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's really important that you learn to love yourself. It is. So Jesus says this, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as, say it with me, yourself. Yeah. So who's your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is everyone you meet and even harder, it includes your enemy. That's what Jesus says. He says, it's not just everybody you meet, but also those, he says, bless those that persecute you. Now, so that we don't completely just give up, to love our neighbor doesn't mean that we have to have warm feelings for them. We don't. It doesn't mean that we have to like them personally. It does, it does mean, though, doing good, seeking to bless, seeking to encourage. Uh, it means showing kindness to them, even though they have no right to claim this from us. So, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of this sermon now, in Matthew 5, Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be, say it with me, children of your Father in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you would bring on the character and values and lifestyle of God himself. That's what that means. Isn't that what you want for your family? About the people who uh, have your same surname? 
uh, in our family, for the foster family. Uh, we're thrilled to have our son Noah with us today. Uh, our hope is that in our family, the people with the last name of Foster are people who serve. We're not takers. We're not consumers of religious goods and services. We don't hang out and beg God for stuff and then do what we want. No, we're people who serve, who bless, who care, who make the world a better place, who make a difference in the world. That's who we understand ourselves to be. That's what our family is about, about blessing and serving and caring for others and kindness to everyone. That's what we're about. And, and if you're going to be a child of your Father in heaven, it means that you take on the very character of Jesus, that you look like him. You do the things that he did. You say the things he said. You have the same life that Jesus had. That's what it means. Because Jesus loved his enemies, didn't he? And he prayed for those who would persecute him all the way to the cross. And if we're going to do the same, that's what it means to have God's character, have Jesus' character, the character of the cross within us. Why? Because God, again, here, makes the sun rise on evil and good, sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what Jesus says. So to have the character of Jesus is to bless those who would harm you. This is a very difficult teaching and and very different than the way the world works. Imagine that from now on, your character is such that you always do the best thing for the people around you. That you bless and you do not curse. You're people of blessing, of goodness and kindness. You lift others up. Now, we see this and we think, wow, this would be very difficult. But are we sure that's what Jesus was about? Yeah, let's take a look at his life. Um, I love the way Dallas Willard says it. He says the things of Jesus in many Bibles are in red. He says the things Jesus did ought to be in green. Right? So we ought to look at what Jesus actually did. And what Jesus did is that he was called a friend of sinners. He hung out with friends uh, that were sinners. Now, I wonder uh, if that could be said of you or if you would want that said of me as your pastor. Like, oh, that Acts 2 church. You know, every time I see Pastor Mark, he's with those people doing those things. Is that, is that what you want from me? Probably not. But that's a problem because that's exactly who Jesus was. And if I'm going to have the character of Jesus, if you're going to have the character of Jesus, we actually had to have his life. We're not to be siloed, right? We're actually engaged the world wherever it is to be people of blessing, wherever we find ourselves. And the New Testament, of course, records Jesus spending time with drunks, prostitutes, thieves, adulterers, tax collectors who were traitors to their own people, right? A tax collector took taxes and, and took some for themselves on top of what Rome required, the occupying force. And so Jesus then routinely went to their homes. And when he went and got inside all these sinners' homes, you know what he said? I love you, but I hate all your sin. No, that's not what he said at all. He didn't say that. What did he do? He healed them. He blessed them. He taught them. He ate dinner with them. He sat down at their table. Now, to eat dinner in that culture at that time was significant in ways that it's hard for us to get our minds around. In Jesus' day, sharing a meal in the first century represented family, friendship, community, hospitality, love, grace, and acceptance. And in all these interactions throughout the Bible, we never once, not once in the entire Bible, do we hear Jesus say to them, I love you, but I hate your sin. It's not in there. It'd be easier if it was. It's just not there. It's not there. And quite frankly, we should be glad about that for ourselves. So what did Jesus talk about? He talked about God's forgiveness. That's what he talked about. Notice that there's no condemnation there. There's also not license, which is a place that you can really run wrongly uh, in the sermon. So don't hear what I'm not saying. It's important that we begin to look more and more like Christ. It matters what you do. It does. It really does. 
So in the Gospel of Luke, it says this, The Son of Man, which is a name Jesus uses for himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, and who? Say it with me. Sinners. That's how people saw Jesus. No wonder about us. Would someone say, now those Acts 2 people, they're friends of sinners. Are, they friend, are we friends? Well, that's a, it's a tough teaching, isn't it? It is. So, so we don't get this wrong. To men and women, Jesus also said, go and sin no more. Right? He says this. This is the other side of that coin. And that's why it's so difficult. The Bible says, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace, meaning Jesus' grace, as a what? A gift. So your salvation, my salvation, is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It was given to us through the cross in the resurrection. That's how we're saved, not by anything else. That's why we don't boast. So all of us have sinned. So since we have all sinned, how in the world can Jesus say, go and sin no more? If he knows we're going to sin, why does he say that? Well, it's for our good. It's for our good. Because sin is simply separation from God. It is less than God's best for us. And when we choose that and when we live into that, it hurts us and hurts others around us. Jesus says this twice. There are two stories in the Gospel of John. One's in John 5 and the other's in John 8. The first story goes like this. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos, and in these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Same spot, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had been there a long time. So he says to him, do you want to be made well? I mean, that's a really good question. You know, he's been there 38 years. You would have to kind of wonder. And the sick man answers, um, which kind of shows why he's still there. He says this. He gives an excuse. He doesn't take ownership. He says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water stirred up and while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. 38 years, 365 times 38. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of bad luck, right? And Jesus says to him, Mm-mm. you, stand up, take your mat, mat, walk. Now, go. And he does. And he does. He's healed. Jesus heals him. Now, notice that, that if it were me, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, dude, come on, 38 years? You're right here, just fall in. Like, come on, right? Like, surely by now. But that's not what Jesus does. He shows compassion to him. Now, the religious people, they're mad about this because it happened on a Saturday. You know, because Saturday was Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And there's a whole other sermon there, but we're going to leave that over there. So flash forward to the end of the story, and the scripture says this in John 5. Later, Jesus finds this guy in the temple and says to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore. Read it with me. So that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus knew that something about this guy, there was something this guy was doing that kept him sick, kept him at the edge of the water, that kept him at the edge of health that he would not choose and he would not walk into. And Jesus says, buddy, I I healed you. I've given you new life. Don't go back to that old life because something worse is going to happen to you if you do. It's for his good, friends. Notice that there's no condemnation there. He's lifting up. He's doing good to him. And he's blessing him even as he is. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that Jesus tells us not to sin for our safety. Say that with me. Jesus tells us not to sin for our safety, right? And there's a story about that in John 8. This time it's about a woman. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery uh, and making her stand before all of them. There was a crowd there, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. That's right. That was the law. She was to die. So they're asking Jesus, What do you say? 
And they said this to test Jesus so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bends down and writes with his finger on the ground. Now, most scholars believe, and I think this is awesome, that Jesus started to write down the names and the numbers and the sins of all the guys standing there. That's what I think. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, like, uh, take a look here. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Right? Bob, embezzlement. Right? So watch what happens. And once again, he goes back to writing those down. He bends down, he writes on the ground. He fills out the list. And when they heard it, when they saw it, they went away. Because they needed to get out of there before he got to them. Right? They're like, oh, I better get out of here because otherwise all my, all my sins are going to be shown to everybody. So they left, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stands up, and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And Jesus said this, Neither do I. Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Read it with me. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Why? Because if she commits adultery again and Jesus isn't around, she's dead. That's the end of her. The only reason she's alive is because Jesus saved her. Absolutely. 100%. If she goes back to her old way of life, she's a goner. Sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts us and, and we get by with something and we're like, you know, I really shouldn't have, you know, had that last drink and driven home. You know, I was glad that I wasn't either arrested or killed someone. And then the Holy Spirit says to you, that ought to be the last time. Because something else might worse happen to you or you might be dead. Right? This is how this works. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts us and says, hey, you need to be careful. This stuff's really dangerous. So Jesus tells us not to sin, one, for our good and the good of others, and for our, again, say it with me, our safety, our real safety. That's what salvation is. Healing, sozo, fullness of life, safety, protection, grace, all of it. So that's the life of Jesus. What about the teaching of Jesus? Well, if we look at this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, what we find is that Jesus says this, don't judge. Why? So that you may not be judged. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's pretty important, friends. We are not to judge so that God won't judge us. And then Jesus goes on and he says, For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? This is quite a metaphor, isn't it? You see this big log in front of you. you can you even see the speck in somebody else's eye if you have a log in yours? No, of course not. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Now, now notice this. Even if, on the very far chance that you could possibly take a log out of your own eye uh, so that you could help someone else with the speck, notice that what you're doing following the getting the log out of your own eye is still helping the other person. You're not condemning them. You're not hurting them. You're getting the tweezers, and you're helping them. Now, here's the other thing that we need to own about this. This is Jesus saying this. I think this side of heaven, each of us is going to have a really hard time getting that log out of our eye in the first place. And, and by the way, if we actually had the character of Jesus at the end of that, we won't be concerned about the speck in the other's eye. Jesus never was. That just wasn't what he was about. So let's think about this for a second. Jesus said, do not judge except for what? Whatever you've mentally placed on that blank is your own prejudice. There is no except for. It's do not judge, period. So that you're not judged. That's the end of it. That's the end of the teaching. It's not except for this. 
And here's the, here's the real kick in the pants. What we wanted to say is, don't judge except for the things you don't struggle with. That's what we wanted to say. So that we can point to the other people. But it doesn't say that. Jesus says, first, look at your own life. Look at your own life. And to be fair, if you're like me, you can spend the rest of your life looking at your own life. As most good therapists will tell you, the reason for this is the only person you might be able to change with God's help is who? Yourself. Yourself. And so if you would like to come see me about um, how terrible your spouse is or your children or your in-laws, you're welcome to do that, but you're going to be really frustrated Um, because I'm going to ask you, well, when's the last time you blessed your mother-in-law? When's the last time you brought her a present? When's the last time um, that you prayed for and helped and, and blessed your wayward kid? When, when's the last time you went and, and helped these folks that you're struggling with? What are the things that you did? And most people think, no, 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 Pastor, you're not getting this right. They're the problem. Right? Now, you're welcome to come do that, but that's what we'll do together. Just know that. Because the power comes when we actually open ourselves up to God's will and we say, okay, God, what would you have me do to be a person of blessing to the world? And then we find this uh, at the end of Jesus' teaching, and that is this, that God humbles the proud. And he lifts up the humble. You see this over and over again throughout the Bible. That's who God is. And so that we, so we understand this, Jesus told a story, a parable. Um, and this is in Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with, what's the word? Contempt. Now, we're going to do a little melodrama here. Every time I say the word Pharisee, I want you to say, yay! And every time I say the word tax collector, I want you to say, boo! right? We'll just have some fun at church. All right. So 10 men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of all my income, but the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, Went down to his home justified. What? Now, if you were Jews in that time, that's how you would have read it. And when Jesus gets to that line, you're like, hot time out. Whoa. Pharisees were good people. They did the right thing. They followed the law. They separated themselves. They knew the scriptures forwards and backwards. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. And Jesus says the tax collector went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee whom we all love. And then read the last part with me. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And they were like, wow, this is a different kind of teaching that Jesus is saying. We haven't heard this before. This is a different deal. And they were right. So I tell you all this, uh, I probably could have just shown you this. Here's a person in front of St. Peter. You were a believer, yes, but you skipped the not being a jerk about it part. (laughs) Right? That's where we're trying to get to. Right? It's important how we live, how we live. The focus is on us. And here's the thing about the Bible. We, we are easy to forget this. The Bible is always talking to the people who will receive it. It's not meant to blow up and condemn others. It's meant for us to look as a mirror in our own life and to become more like Christ, to become children of God, to have the character of Jesus. That's what it's there for. And the only time the Bible records Jesus demonstrating hatred of sin is in relation to me. Religious people, particularly religious leaders. So this is really hard on me because all of this is really focused at me and, quite frankly, you. 
The only people it's not focused at are the people so sinful that they're still sitting at home. I mean, really, they get a pass on this because they don't know, because it's not written to them. It's written to us. This is for us. That's the kick in the pants. It's to religious people. People actually show up on Sunday. You're like, well, I'm glad I came today. Right? This is, it's a warning for us, friends. It's a very real warning. And the only people that Jesus really got after were, one, people who took advantage of the poor, like they did at the temple, or two, were hypocrites. Say that word with me. Hypocrites. Play actors. People who pointed out other people's flaws while pretending to have no sins of their own to forgive. Jesus was livid with these folks. And Matthew has seven different times that he says, Woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Here's just one of them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What? Say it with me. Hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside you're full of bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So also on the outside you look righteous to others, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I love the way Billy Graham puts it. He was in a very difficult conversation with a family member, and he said this, and they recorded it because it's just right. Billy Graham says it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's our job to love. So what's our job? To love. To love. That's hard. That can be really hard when the people that God calls you to love are people that you don't agree with or that you don't like or don't have your same political ideology or, or, or. Now, Adam Hamilton in his book, Half Truths, writes it like this. He says, it's hard to hate another sin without harming the sinner. If I love you more as a sinner than as my neighbor, then I'm bound to focus more on your sin. And I'll start looking for all the things that are wrong with you because you're a sinner. And perhaps without intending it, I will begin to think of our relationship like this. Oh, you are a sinner, but I graciously choose to love you anyway. Now, if that sounds a little puffed up and self-righteous and even prideful to you, then you have perceived accurately. But don't we do this sometimes? You see, love the sinner, hate the sin works just fine until the sinner they are talking about is you. And then it doesn't work at all. Because you feel judged. Not loved. Isn't that true? Now, when I grew up in the church, even 20 years ago, this love the sinner, hate the sin thing was largely around divorced people. You don't hear much about that today, but it used to be about that. 20 years before that, it was about alcohol use and what would not wouldn't be done in the church or on church property or in these things. You know, we, we love, yeah, we love them, but they drink too much. We love them, but they're divorced. We love them, but. And that's a problem, isn't it? It's fine if it's not your sin, but if it's your sin, it's not really helpful to you, is it? You can't hear it. You can't receive it because you're not loved. Love has to come first. So in your action steps, um, the, the main teaching that I want you to know is, is this. First of all, no pretending. Say that with me. No pretending. We are who we are. And that's why we start every service and have for 20 years. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. All of us. Same level, same deal. That's not to say that all the sin is the same. Of course, it's not because to eat a ding-dong uh, as a healthy person is not the same as drinking a whole thing of vodka and driving afterwards. Those are different. They have different consequences. Right? I'm not being silly. It's just, you know, different sins have different consequences. Okay? But still, we don't pretend. So, and here's, here's the trick. Because a lot of people will quote this verse uh, from Paul to the early church in Rome around this. They'll say, well, no, no, no. We're supposed to hate what is evil, aren't we? And hold fast to what is good. That's in the scripture. Read it with me. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Yes, that's in there. But it's, 
it's in the middle of a section that's much broader about that that basically says the opposite, which is love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. No pretending. Run for dear life from evil in your own life. If you see evil, run from it. It's a, it's a personal, this is what you're to do as a person of faith. It's not about judging other people who are not a person of faith. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't raise yourself up because you're going to be humbled. Right? So your action step is this. No pretending because God knows all of us. Isn't that true? And not only that he knows all of us, he knows all of us inside and out. So here's, here's news for you if you don't know this. Uh, when you die, uh, your physical body, I believe, stays here and you get a new body. Right? Which is very good. But it may absolutely be translucent which means you don't get to hide anything. So anybody who sees you will know you perfectly. They'll know you perfectly. That's terrifying. Is it? So here's the thing. We have to learn in this life not to pretend because in the next life you can't. There's no hiding there. You are who you are. And God loves you and accepts you there. So the second thing is this. If we're, going to, if we're actually going to stop pretending and, and work ourselves into the character of Christ, we have to stop focusing on the sins of others. Isn't that true? Friend, you don't have time to focus on the sins of others. If you're like me, you've got plenty of work to do. So it does them no good and it hurts you. Because as soon as you start focusing on the sins of others, you place yourself in harm's way because now you're judging and God says that that's going to come back to you. So as your pastor... I absolutely want to keep you from, from you know, dying and going to heaven and then going, oops, Pastor Mark never told me that. This is really important for us because most of us don't struggle with other things other than this. This really is our struggle, and I, and I know it's hard for all of us. And we are to hate sin. We're to hate our own sin, and we're to hate the sin that hurts others, where children go to bed hungry while other people die of obesity. We're working at things like child abuse, spouse abuse, racism, injustice, indifference to the suffering of others. We ought to work against that in our own lives. And most of these days, um, when I hear love the sin, hate the sinner, it basically today almost always comes down to homosexuality. I don't hear it in any other place. I don't hear it about all these other things that it used to be about. It's, it's pretty much only about that one thing now. And I just need to tell you that the phrase is not helpful there. It's just not helpful. It doesn't help them. doesn't help you. It doesn't help anybody. So imagine someone saying to you, I love you, but I hate that you drink. I love you, but I hate that you're divorced. I love you, but I hate that you're greedy, and you take everything you earn and spend it on yourself and your kids. Would you feel loved? No, of course not. You see, I love you, but doesn't work for any of us, does it? I mean, if you were on a date and somebody says, oh, I love you, but... I mean, that'd be your last date, wouldn't it? So here's another step you can take. And this is important because, again, this is not about license. This is about taking our own sin seriously, our own personal holiness seriously. And the, and the best way that I see church often is at AA groups, right? Or NA groups or pick your group, right? And that is step one in all these groups concerning our own battle, but it's with like-minded people. If you really want to get better and following Jesus, having his character, then find other people that have the same struggle that you do. And that takes vulnerability. And so step one in AA is this, that we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, our addiction, not their addiction, our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's step one. If you want to be more like Jesus, that's step one. 
that we humble ourselves and say, we really struggle with this, and I'm going to find other people that struggle with this, and maybe they can help me. Maybe somebody else has gone through the same thing I'm going through. Maybe they can help me. And there's all kinds of power there. And that we ought to take seriously. But you know as well as I do, if you're in the midst of drinking and somebody who's never drank in their life tries to lecture you about it, how far does that get you? Nowhere. It actually may drive you to drink more because you just feel judged. What people need is love. Unconditional, real, Jesus love. So, I want to implore you, take your own personal holiness seriously, as did the early Methodists. We were known for this, friends. We would fast on Wednesdays and on Fridays. No clergy was ordained without making that commitment in the early Methodist church. Uh, We would pray. Uh, We had certain times to pray. There were all sorts of things uh, that we did. And John Wesley, our founder, actually said this. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergy or lay. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of, earth on, Kevin, kingdom of heaven on earth. And he's right. You take 100 people who are like-minded that say, yes, we're going to take our own sin seriously. We're going to work against it and we're going to go bless the world. Yes. Yes. And we're still here today, hundreds of years later. So our action step is this. Do not condemn others. Say that with me. Do not condemn others. Only God knows their story. Only God knows their story. And if you're in leadership like I am, you know this. There are things that happen in your organizations that you cannot talk about for legal reasons or it might be harmful to somebody else. But there will be a day, friends, when you are justified. When you get to heaven, everybody will know the truth about those things. But you simply could not do it because it might harm somebody else. So only God knows our story. God knows everybody's story. And in Romans, Paul writes that out. He says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Not us. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. This is a warning to his friends. We are not to bring a charge against somebody whom Christ loves. And who does Christ love? Everyone. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, the cosmos, everyone. So, all holiness is actually social holiness, that we are to work for the good of how many people? All the people. All the people. Right? So, when we focus on the sins of others, and we speak of hating their sin, we violate the teaching and spirit of Jesus. We never saw him do that. We never saw him teach that. When we hate our own sin and flee from evil, it leads us to love, not to judgment. And when we love our neighbor, when we put others first, when we bless and we don't curse, when we share and lift up, Miracles happen. They really do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together this prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you came not to show judgment to sinners, but to offer forgiveness to us all. We thank you that you came not to point out all our sins, for we know them well, but to show us the way and the truth and life. Lord, we are grateful that you continue to save us from our sins, that you forgive us and show us mercy. Make us like you. Make us people of forgiveness and people who show mercy. Help our, char- sorry, help our character to be so like yours that we too can be called children of God. Help us like you welcome all your children both at church and in our lives every day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen.